Listen, players. <laughs> You're listening to the Movement, Strength and Play podcast by the School of Calisthenics. Here are your hosts, Tim and Jacko. If you've had your ear to the ground in the conversation around training over the last 10 years, you'll have probably heard the phrase knees over toes. And that will sometimes be contextualized within don't put your knees over toes or do put your knees over toes or not knowing where you should put your knees in relation to your toes. So we've got somebody on who knows a lot about knees over toes. We've got the knees over toes guy, Jacko. <laughs> and I know you love an Instagram guy, uh, meaning anyone with the guy in a bit. So, uh, yeah, no, knees over toes guy. If you, Most of you, if you haven't heard of him, where have you been? Um, most of you will have done. You're as excited as we are to get him onto the podcast to hear it from the horse's uh, mouth. His real name is Ben Patrick. And uh, if you want to hear a little bit of an awkward intro where I sort of, I was trying to be funny. <laughs> and I said, I said to him, I was like, never, rule three in life is never trust a man with two first names. Welcome to the podcast, Ben Patrick. And what I was expecting was him, or at least you, someone to go, well, if that's rule three, then uh, what's rule one and two? But I think he was actually, he was slightly, they didn't know how to take it, didn't realise I was joking. <laughs> rule one, go in the sea when you see it. Rule two, have a girlfriend with small hands. <laughs> Jacko, that was almost as awkward as the actual intro. Um, <laughs> we've now, you've now, you told people what the first minute of the podcast is, um, and it was a, I, I, he can't change his name, so um, it was a little bit uncomfortable for a second there. Yeah, but we got into, well, yeah, we, we got into the conversation. Yeah. Um, there's tons of stuff on this one, guys. Ben's history and story around knee problems himself, and now you, you see what he can do on Instagram. I'm not going to go and uh, repeat all the things that he says. Just sit back and enjoy the podcast. There's tons of stuff in there, some interesting, some bold um, opinions and conversation and all the good stuff that makes it an interesting listen. So I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, and if you listen all the way to the end, because at the end, there's a real nice bit then where we get, like we always look, like we love talking about training stuff, but when we, I felt like we get to the end, we we're actually like talking about, we were talking about life and you just, you see how much of a, of a nice guy and what, he's, what he wants to, what he's trying to do. Um, so I would, uh, I would hang on to the end for that bit. All right, sit back and enjoy Ben Patrick, the knees over toes guy on the Movement, Strength and Play podcast. Although actually, before you listen to the podcast, you're probably going to want to take up, or well, maybe afterwards you listen to the podcast, take up our offer that's going on for the whole of August. So it'll be coming to the end at the end of August, 50% off your uh, first month membership inside the virtual classroom. The code for that is longevity. The links are in the show notes. You know, Knees Over Toes, guys, is interested in people's longevity of bulletproofing, looking after their knees. We want to look after your whole entire body physical and mental and uh, that's what the virtual classroom is there for so use code longevity for 50% off you can do it now or you know you might want to listen to the podcast and then you can sign up or maybe you're a multitasker maybe you're on your computer you can do it now it's up to you you choose should I try again you can have a go sit back and enjoy Ben Patrick on the movement strength and play podcast roll that jingle so ben welcome to the movement strength and play podcast honored to be here right um firstly rule three in life is never trust a man with two first names ben patrick aka the uh knees over toes guy some people uh, you know 600,000 however many there are on Instagram like will have come across you um the, the the name tells itself that obviously we're talking a little bit about that that principle around knees over toes but um just for the one person that might be listening to this podcast but somehow hasn't managed to to see what you're about um just a really quick snapshot so we can then get into the juicy stuff of like who is Ben Patrick what does knees over toes guys mean and, and where yep. did it all start for you yeah, so your knee going over your toe is part of life. It's definitely part of sport. You know, you can't walk downstairs without your knees going over your toes. So uh, I followed the advice, don't let your knees over your toes. I went to many trainers, don't let your knees over your toes. I had super weak knees, multiple surgical alterations by the time I was 18 years old, chewed up, spit out of basketball, where your knees go over your toes every time you shoot a freaking shot or play defense or slow down or anything. So... I was a product of no knees over toes and, and didn't get me very far. Knees were ruining my life. I was hooked on painkillers. You know, life looking back was extremely rough just because of my 
knees. And now 10 plus years later, I've got phenomenal knees. I can dunk and do all kinds of things I never thought I could do by figuring out, well, how do you go from weak knees over toes to strong knees over toes without getting hurt in the process? So it, it is part of life, but how do we get that quality without injuring ourselves in the process? Yeah. Just give us a little bit of context around the, the surgeries that you'd had, Ben, in case anyone's listening who's had something similar, um, who's thinking, crack, my knees are shot, I can't do the things that I, I want to do in life. Because that's something that I've seen you talk about is like you are excited yeah. about what you want to be able to do in 12 or 20 years time. Yeah. So the different stuff I went through is really was critical for me becoming uh, a coach and figuring out my system. So one of my knees, it has a partially artificial kneecap and it has a meniscus transplant. And it has a, a quad tendon repair. So you're talking about a surgical alteration above the knee, in the kneecap itself, and below the kneecap. So <clears throat> that creates so much scar tissue issues that I was told that my knee would never fully bend again. And now I'm known for how well my knee fully bends, <laughs> you know. But then the other knee ended up having more tears that would have needed surgeries, torn ligaments, all kinds of shit in the other knee. But I was already like, I was already out of the game of basketball. I, I had like no teams wanted me. So I was already at a point where I was like, you know, fuck surgery. Like I'll just try to figure it out naturally. So one knee, a mess of stiffness from surgery. The other knee, a mess of looseness from torn ligaments. It was com two completely opposing problems between left knee and right knee, trying to overcome the scar tissue of the left knee while trying to overcome the active tears in the right knee without surgical intervention. So that was kind of my, my backstory with my knees, not to mention all the chronic tendonitis and stuff like that and Osgood slaughter. And, and someone out there listening may even have what started for me around age nine, where my knee would actually like pop out and then I'd have to pop it back in. It's often misdiagnosed as a torn meniscus. Thousands of people have had factually incorrect and ineffective surgery thinking it's a torn meniscus the doctor just didn't understand that it was actually tibiofibular dislocation. So your knee pops out and then you either can't get it back in, which they'll often go to surgery. Like you literally can't straighten your leg or you forcefully kind of pop it back in. So all kinds of, you know, just gnarly knee stuff between both sides. So had I had maybe one of those issues or something, Maybe I wouldn't have had to have a very well-rounded system. I could have been like, oh, that, that handled it or this. Hand. But because of the nature of all these different things, to overcome that, I then played college and pro basketball. I, I took my vertical jump from reaching my 20s, never grabbing the rim, to now I'm, I'm 30 and like I'm trying to hit my head on the rim. You know what I mean? So it's, not, it's also one thing to withdraw from life. I've actually been able to now uh, attack life like never before. So let's keep going with that, um, just that, that line of inquiry a little bit, because let's just kind of dispel some of the myths that people will have heard. And then we can start talking about what the future looks like and how people can move forward. So where does like, don't let your knees over, go over your toes come from? What was the rationale behind it? I know you said it's factually incorrect, but a lot of strength coaches over the years, like I've been in, in strength and conditioning for, for over 13 years. And you, when you're coming through, you hear this kind of this narrative or this conversation. Um, where does it, where did it start and, and, and what's the history behind it? So when your knee goes over your toe, there's more pressure on your knee. So that could be interpreted one of two ways. One way to avoid it, you know, that's like saying there's more pressure when you go talk to a girl. I'm pretty sure the no knees over toes <laughs> guy also lived alone in a cave and never spoke to another person. So the other way of interpreting it is, oh my gosh, that's the position that you want to be capable in and protected in. I mean, it's like saying that, that doing a dip puts or doing a chin up, you know, puts pressure on your elbows or something. Like someone who cannot do a chin-up would have a lower potential of surviving on this planet than someone who could do a chin-up. There's literally no part of our body where there's like an advantage to being incapable in that area of your body. You're, you're as vulnerable as you're incapable. But this was interpreted, oh my gosh, there's, there's more pressure on your knee when it goes over your toe. Don't let your knee over your toe in training. So it's actually, it's pretty wild that it ended up prevailing with probably the majority of trainers, there's tons of other trainers out there like me who are like, no, of course, that's ridiculous. But when I made the knees over toes guy social media three years ago, yeah, Google said, don't let your knees over toes. Now Google it. Mm. Now Google says, actually, that is part of life. It does occur naturally and you can safely work on that. So, it, you know, yeah. 
I thought it was some interesting stuff. I remember when I was getting, like, again, back in the early days of my strength and conditioning career, we would, a lot of, like, lifting techniques were often talked about, particularly in back squats, around externally rotating the feet. And I often, I came through, a, actually, an American system of education, National Academy of Sports Medicine, which is very sort of, like, functional anatomy-based and understands corrective exercise quite well and, and trying to optimize movement patterns. And I was just looking at people teaching this external rotation of feet. And yes, we can argue the strength activation and, or, or activation around glutes. And that's probably another conversation which we might want to dive into. But I often looked at it and went, well, we're just avoiding ankle dorsiflexion. We've got athletes that don't have good dorsiflexion, therefore can't squat knees face, or feet facing forward, knees yep. going over the toes. So we just externally rotate the feet. So we don't have to deal with that. We can just kind of get focused on getting strong rather than addressing the movement dysfunction. And I, I always looked at it and went, my argument here is I don't want my, my athletes to run with externally rotated feet. So why would I coach them <coughs> to get strong with externally rotated feet? Yeah, you should be good at are, both. Are we on the, are we on the same... You yeah, be good well, yeah, exactly. If yeah. you've seen the way that I do seated good mornings, it is externally rotated. And I'm phenomenally, I'm, I'm phenomenal at external rotation. I'm phenomenal knees behind toes too. You know what I mean? Mm. But like <laughs> you said, so uh, at first people are like, oh, what an extremist, this knees over toes guy. I'll tell you what's extreme is, is actually limiting a part of the natural human anatomy and, and function. That's, that's extreme. It's actually amazing that this got pulled over and it, it shows how masses of people can gravitate to something that's false once they once one person and another but once they believe something that's false it can really prevail and that's kind of scary when we realize like you said you went through like an american academy but america leads the world in in knee surgeries and the american academy of orthopedic surgeons is predicting what's already considered epidemic level is predicting now by 2030 to like skyrocket even more like basically if you're american and you're growing up in the american academic system you're fucked we're all having knee surgeries we're all fucked and doomed to a low knee quality of life we cannot squat down if you're a grandparent forget about playing with your grandkids forget about running forget about squatting down to play with them we're all fucked statistically according to the academic experts so i get a little passionate about it because it's false it's false data that's been prevailed, you know, extremely widespread. And that's, that's why I'm knees over toes guy. Cause I don't give a shit about myself. I don't give a shit about my career. I give a shit about overturning that myth. And that's why you'll even see in my videos, my videos are actually obsessive about regression. So like my breakthroughs for other people and for humanity is not in figuring out crazier things we can do with our knees. It's actually figuring out just how low these qualities scale. So the broken can become less broken. I just yesterday, 89 year old, 93 year old, both doing my program and, and winning. These are people who otherwise they're going to be in walkers. They're going to be in wheelchairs. That may it's seeing, uh, I think one of the things that has um, created a lot of traction for you, not just like the quality of what you're doing, but the, the passion that you have for it, you can, it comes across all the time. People see it, it, it resonates and it's um yeah it, it encourages people it inspires people it motivates people i remember seeing um when joe rogan mentioned you before you he mentioned you on his uh one of his podcasts yeah. and we're watching on youtube and i was like uh-oh like this is gonna blow up like like big time now like joe rogan's literally like putting you up on the screen and you know it's one of the things that if you're if you're able to help people regardless of age to be pain free whether that is a pain in the knee or it's somewhere else like we're giving people a better quality of life and that that statistic you're talking about a lot of it's it's not just one thing but there's a lot comes out of us just not moving that sedentary lifestyle and the there becomes an issue where am i sedentary because i'm in pain or has my sedentary like made me be painful and like that sort of chicken and egg issue and rather than trying to worry about what it was it's like how do we get people back to moving and enjoying the body because we talk about this all the time if you if you can't do stuff like you can't move like you you in essence you die even if you don't but like because the body is designed to move and wants to move our strength is our potency but it's range of motion quite literally is the human life cycle. So like a baby has the most range of motion. And by the end, when we die, the body completely stiffens up, you know, and it's not like we're trying to solve problems that don't exist. Like if you're doing great, like keep doing great. This is not like a fear thing of like, if you don't know, this is like, 
this is the opposite. This is if you're broken, if you're hooked on painkillers, if you're going to physio spending tens of thousands of dollars, not getting results, thinking that you'll never play your sport again, thousands have been in those shoes and are now playing their sport again. So I, I'm passionate yeah. about it because of how much my sport was taken away, how much unnecessary pain I went through. Just really it boils down to that, not being able to play my sport because of my knees. Like no kid grows up thinking, watching Michael Jordan, thinking I'm never going to play basketball when I'm, I'm that age because I'm going to be having knee surgeries and my knees will physically be in too much pain to play and I'll be hooked on painkillers. They don't have that conversation mm. with an eight or a nine-year-old, you know? So yeah yeah so the the passion is there because of what was taken away for such simple things so i think it's actually a perfect time to just dive into getting into that simplicity my own major realization is that calisthenics is actually how you start fixing your knees so if there's something i do that kind of brings something special to the table it's the idea of being able to handle your own body from the ground up so i'm not an expert on calisthenics the way you guys are experts on calisthenics. But I've probably spent more time than anyone in the world on figuring out basic calisthenics, but from the foot to ankle to knee, and then gradually getting up into some hips. So this would, this would complement someone who lifts weights or does calisthenics or does Olympic lifting or does a sport. So my main calisthenics session for the knees I breeze through it in about 15 minutes now. It takes people about half an hour at first as they're like getting used to it and learning the movements. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool when you realize how easy it is that you don't now need to go buy some expensive piece of equipment to fix your knees. In fact, literally getting rid of everything except your own body is how you start changing your knees. Yeah, that's really interesting. A lot of times when we get conversation or people question us about um, calisthenics for the low body, because typically, right, often people see calisthenics and they see upper body movements. Yep. Um, and then we'll often, we've often talked about um, how our, our approach to what we call like lower body foundations, which is just trying to help people restore a basic body weight squat and multi-directional lunge pattern. Um, and then once you've done that, then you can start thinking about pistol squats and shrimp squats and, and all the kind of the funky stuff that goes with it. Um, which, if to someone's be clear, a... would still be in your category, not mine. I mean, that would still yeah. be um, like more advanced, but some of my shit could help someone who thinks they would never do a pistol squat. You know what I mean? That, oh, my knee would never yeah. do that. My stuff can help them. And then a lot of people then go do your kind of programs and then find they can do it, you know? Yeah. So, so give us some examples so, so people can sort of conceptualize oh, yeah. it a little bit. So yeah, we're going to break where, it down. Where, where does someone begin? Yeah, yeah we're going to break it down. So step one is anterior tibialis raises. So this is not a dinky drill. This is any human being on this planet can take their anterior tibialis to failure in 25 reps. Not only that, and if someone wants to go on my YouTube and just type tibialis raise, I, I keep this step as like a public video. So if you do 25 reps, you can take your tibialis to muscular failure. Now, even if you thought you were super advanced, you could do them one leg at a time. So what, what if you started right there? So if you look and you feel your anterior, anterior tibialis, at the top, it's almost to the outside of the knee. So it kind of goes from the outside of the knee there. And now if you feel it, it actually ends up wrapping around and attaching to the inside of the ankle. So a lot of people are like, well, I have shin splints, but not the normal kind. It's that inner medial kind that your tibialis wraps around and attaches right there. So that's one half of the shin splint equation. So what if you said, okay, my mission is to have the pound for pound, the strongest tibialis in the world. That would be the logical place to start for your knees. You're not even loading your knees yet. You're improving the blood flow to your knees. You're improving this tibialis, which connects right there. It's the closest muscle in the human body to your patellar tendons. So what if that first line of defense under your knees was like world-class elite strong. And you'll find that the weakest of knee cases are on average super weak in that area, meaning force is just blunt trauma is just coming up into those knees unnecessarily. Plus when you've had a surgery and now you've been out of impact, so the, the more we reduce the impact in life, the more those tibialis anterior muscles atrophy. Now you could be doing all kinds of great strength and conditioning stuff, but are you doing as many sets, as many reps, as many sets to failure for your tibialis anterior as everything above that? If not, then you are asking the universe for 
less protected knees, more shin splints, more foot pains. You like you can write whatever you want on a program. You can follow any school of thinking on exercise, but it does come down to physics of where we actually put our strength and our volume of, of sets and reps and, and strength. So that's step one is, okay, I'm going to have the strongest tibialis in the world. Like that's your, that's your mindset. That's step one. Also now, as you mentioned of people with limited ankle mobility, no matter how much you smash against your ankle mobility, it's completely illogical to think that you're going to achieve your best ankle mobility if you never address the front of your ankle. That would be like a bodybuilder never once addressing his tricep and wondering why he has elbow issues or something like that. So that is half of the ankle mobility equation. It's just that the, the front of your ankle, getting that balanced development there. Now, as we move up from the tibialis, we now start getting into calf raises and actually working to the point of our knees being over our toes in a calf raise. So if we do a straight leg calf raise, it emphasizes mostly those upper calves. If we do a bent knee calf raise, it now starts actually getting into the soleus, which is that lower, deeper calf muscle, has the strongest pull of any muscle in the human body. And it's the one more closely connected to the Achilles and again to that inner shin splint area. So those two areas alone, your tibialis and your actual like foot and lower calf muscles, I mean, there's so much potential right within those two to improve the mechanics of how your knees can develop by changing how your ankles and your feet function, more mobile and strong feet, more mobile and strong ankles, more strength coming from the ground up. That's both bringing greater freedom for your knees and bringing greater protection right off the bat for your knees. So you see how it's, it's simply calisthenics. And with those knee over toe calf raises, you want to do 25 reps of those on one leg. Again, any athlete in the world can produce change. So we're not talking about drills. We're talking about like, you don't get good at chin-ups by like doing an imaginary drill with a band. Like you, eventually you got to like chin your body weight. There's force, there's load. So we're talking about those same calisthenics principles consistency put it like you've probably never trained someone who's just like well that person anatomically cannot improve at chin-ups you know what i mean unless there's a structural defect from an accident anyone can get better at a push-up anyone can get better at a chin-up anyone can get stronger and anyone can improve their knees so those would be the first two steps right there now what did we do we just addressed the ankle on both sides that every system of strength on this planet has proportionately neglected. And I'm saying those are the first two steps. We're doing a rebuild from the ground up. Now, what have you done already? You've already potentiated your knee to get into better, stronger positioning for then those, uh, those you know, VMO muscles, those teardrops to develop, for your patellar tendons to develop. It's very hard for the patellar tendons to develop when the ankle is limited, when the tibialis is weak, when you can't even get into positions without pain. So then it just goes up from there, and then you can actually get into real knees over toes training. And then as you get better with your knee over toe, now you can get deeper into a squat, which I like to build one side at a time because it lengthens that back leg. So you may have seen a lot of videos. I can do a, a front splits cold any time of day. I don't know if this is um, like how this is recorded, but if, if, you know, at the end I can do a front splits for you or something. So when you fix the ankle, it gets real easy to fix the knee. And when you fix the knee one side at a time, it gets real easy to lengthen those back hip flexors. So now we've just corrected a bunch of the modern human difficulties. Weak, immobile feet, weak, immobile ankles, weakness with the knee over toe position, and shortened hip flexors from all of our sitting and squatting or things, you know, where we're not letting those hip flexors lengthen out, which I would argue if I, if I only had one foundation for back pain, it would be lengthened hip flexors, you know? So I would say that's the most important stuff that I bring to the table that's not commonly brought to the table, that all of that would only improve positioning to then build a pistol squat or a squat, or, you know, whether it's a pistol squat or a powerlifting squat or an Olympic weightlifting squat, I get those kind of wins week in and week out. I help some of the strongest powerlifters in the world some of the strongest Olympic weightlifters in the world. So, um, but I, but I don't overextend myself. I stay obsessed as fuck with the stuff I just talked about. I keep doing it because like that saved my knee. So what happens if I keep getting more, keep getting more, keep getting more. And that's how I'm getting like super athletic now is because I don't, I don't mess with my own recipe. I just keep literally going back to the start 
and going round and round on essentially calisthenics from the ground up. And then for upper body, I'll, I'm sure I can learn a ton more from you, but I, but I have like really good um, base range of motion on push-ups, rows, dips, chins, just like real basics because in sport, you know, like that's just a good foundation. Like if you start from there, so many people, oh, I can't press without shoulder pain. Well, how much ring work have you done? You know what I mean? And like, how well can you handle your own body weight in the upper body? So I, I do think that a lot of these same concepts apply, but I only take them to very, uh, as we come up from there, I can help someone build world-class feet, ankles, knees, hips. As we come up from there though, it's, it's much more basic levels that they would have to like hire someone like you guys or do your programs to go further. Yeah, yeah. We, so I think it's, I'm just gonna get you one thing to to touch on, Ben, and we can maybe sort of. Sorry for that long on. rant, by the way. No, no, it's cool, mate. It's good explaining it out. So we have to, one of the things that we'll see um, a lot of people struggling with is that deep squat position because they lack, lack they lack um, the ability to, to get into dorsiflexion. And just for people that are listening that are not like fully tuned up on their um, anatomy, the tibialis anterior is the, the muscle on the front of the legs. If you go down and touch it, it's the muscle just the right-hand side. If I'm touching my right legs on the outer side of your front of your shin, effectively. Yep. Um, so people will often be weak in that position, right? And I think there's one thing that I was going to get you to, to touch on. I've often kind of thought around the knee that it gets bullied by the ankle and the hips. Oh, so yeah. we've got <laughs> joints designed for mobility above and below. The, the knee's function is pre predominantly stability. Um, and if you've got a dysfunction in the hip or ankle, you're probably going to have a, a knee issue. So I'm going to go to two-part two question. Thoughts on that? You've already kind of touched on it a little bit, but if someone's thinking, crikey, I want to sort out my, my squat pattern and get into this, like how do those two things fit together? And the second part of the question is, um, I think oftentimes people start wanting to get out and get into running. What is the problem about going running and why do people start to get knee pain when they take up running? And I think you've probably touched on it already, Two great but questions. I just want you to kind of like spell it out for people. Two great questions. And yeah, the, the knee is the, the middle brother, you know, so the, the knee is the, the middle child who's effective, the older child and the younger child, you know, so like with the hip and the ankle, any issues there are then manifesting in the knee. So you, you have a, an ankle sprain on the left side or strain a hip on this side or it, now that's that's directly influencing the knee. So it, it is it can be very tough to have healthy functional knees. And that's why I mentioned how I rebuild the squat as a fully ass to grass split squat because you're it's a diagonal pattern now. So squat is straight up and down. So a squat alone is very good stimulus, will handle things for a lot of people, but what if like one knee had a surgery, one knee had an ankle, one knee you know, one hip is tighter. So a split squat comes diagonally. So it loads right into the ankle while lengthening the hips. So when you get real balanced ankles, real balanced knees, real balanced hips, then that squat grooves in nicely. So like you said, it's a, it's a very tough knee, you know, knee function is a really tough math equation against us because of any issues with our feet, ankles, hips are manifesting into those knees. Now with running, running, you, you have uh, something like heavy squatting, right? Heavy squatting would be demand on the knee. But running adds up to similar amounts of force. So it adds up to thousands and thousands of pounds of force because of the distance that we run. And when you're running, again, any of these, let's just imagine that one ankle is weaker. So if one ankle is weaker on every stride, what's happening to that knee? So that, that side, the knee could be overworked or that whole leg could be getting less output, so the other side tries to overcompensate. So right off the ground when we're running, we have to have pretty balanced and strong mobile ankles to then allow the knees to do their job right. Same with, same with the tight hip. So running is now putting it to the test with a ton of volume, which adds up to a ton of force over time. Cool thing for people who want to transition to running, which this has worked for tons of people, is to balance your forward running with backward running. So when you run backwards, you're working all the muscles that protect you when you run forwards. So when you run backwards, the way your toe is digging in, the way your knee is extending, and what can you do? You can still get the cardio in. You can still get the effect of running. So there's been guys, for example, who like, I, I wish I knew their names off the top of my head, Sadly, they're not famous athletes for doing this. They're like, you know, they have like 500 followers on Instagram and they're like world record holders. You know what I mean? So um, there's been 
I know Jamie Alderson did a marathon did backwards, I'm sure. I'm did sure he? he did a marathon backwards. Well, yeah, there's I been a number so. of guys who ran into knee problems and could no longer forward run, right? Like their times had dropped, they couldn't compete forwards, there would be too much swelling, surgeries, all this stuff. And what they did is they rehabilitated themselves by running backwards and wound up getting faster forwards than they ever were before and kicking the knee pain. Now, that equation makes it pretty simple. If we got into team sports or squats, you know, it adds a lot more moving parts. So I think a similar effect from how I do these calisthenic drills, I think you would almost get some similar effects from running backwards. Now that relies on good weather, safety, you know, like there's a lot more going on. Maybe it's not quite as accurate, but the overall concept is there that you're now strengthening all these muscles that protect you when you go forwards and that potentiate more output. And they, there's, but there's no, like in America, we have like so much studies and science on surgeries and all these kind of different things. But like, we don't even have a study on that. Like, go ahead and just take a hundred runners with runner's knee and have those hundred runners switch their volume to backwards and analyze their patellar tendons. And this, I mean, like just, you know, it's like, that's why academia upsets me because academia didn't save my knees. Not one thing that I use came from academia. It all came from the fringe outside of academia. Forward thinkers who were getting outlier results and then taking these clues. So go ahead, academia. I'm laying it out for you. If you're listening to this and you complain that I don't link studies, how can I link a study to something that has never been studied? I'm not going to take the time to do that. I'm winning in my role of making things simple. You shouldn't have to have a study. Studies can be biased. People can then pick and choose or interpret them wrong or do the study incorrectly. By the way, most studies are, you know, six weeks long on 10 untrained 18-year-old males or something. You know, like it's, it can go wrong. <laughs> I would rather let people come to their own yeah. truth. There's a lot less chance of error if you just allow yourself to observe, you know, what's true for you and experience these things. So, yeah. so the running backwards concept is pretty dang cool for people who want to rehabilitate, you know, the ability to run forwards. I would say do calisthenics from the ground up and prevent overtraining as you're working your way toward your running goals by balancing your forward running volume with backward running volume. Now we've got a real simple system and zero equipment needed. Like that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. On the, I just want to throw two things out there on the, not go down the rabbit hole of the research, but like there is, um, Oh, I had one for yeah, you though. So much I these days. There was well, one study, which I remember. Well, it's like, uh, but it's, but it, this, we've got to the point in th this day, this day, and it, like studies are great to prove things, et cetera. But like sometimes like the detail of the studies, et cetera, who it's on and all that sort of stuff. But we, we lose the ability now to, trust a process and, and noticing something and going like, do I need a study to show me that this thing is making my knee hurt less if when I do it, my knee is hurting less? Um, and then the other thing is no one's going to fund a backwards running study because no one's going to make any money out of everyone just running backwards. Exactly. And that's the reality of, 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 of research that it's often skewed because of who's paying for it to be exactly. done. So you might be, you might never get the, you might never you might get not. the studies that you want, but the there's two good ones. The thing though. that's important is the yeah. results that yeah. you make it. There's, that's exactly. the big thing. So there's two good indicators, and one of them is on is on elderly, and they tested them on walking backwards. Now, if anyone goes in front of a mirror and you go to take your first step backwards, your knee is over your toe. That's why I'm knees over toes guy because it's literally that simple. So walking backwards is a test of how strong you are with your knees over your toes. And the doctors concluded that walking backward alone for elderly was an effective screening process for falling. Falling is one of the leading causes of death and hospitalization mm -hmm. in elderly. So the better you can walk backwards, the less chance you have of falling and dying. That's like pretty obvious. You know what I mean? If someone couldn't walk backwards, they're more likely to fall and die and wind up in a walker and unable to walk on their own. So we do have that one. Um, I think it was like a couple German guys who somehow made it into America and didn't get the memo or something. Cause it's like not American name, you know, <laughs> Americans are probably like, what the heck are these guys doing? <laughs> Trying to help people. <laughs> All right. So the other one was on 13 to 15 year old kids. 
and they had them sprint backwards. And they had one group do forward sprints, one group do backward sprints for like eight weeks or something. The backwards group got faster at running forwards than the forwards group. And for every one inch of vertical jump gain in the forward sprinting group, four inches of vertical gain in the backward sprint group. So it just shows there's a yin to the yang there. There's no advantage to not running, not mm-hmm. being able to run forwards, but there, there's also no advantage to being weak backwards. And that, that, that backwards concept and those backward muscles, so every time we limit knees over toes, every time we limit that in training, well, if you take from those studies, we're asking to fall because now we're not strong with our knee over our toe. We're asking to fall. We're asking to limit our potential to run fast and jump high. So to summarize that, there's just no advantage to being, you know, incapable in some area of our body. And I do, I went through a phase where I was trying to find studies to appease people who were looking for studies, but I I enjoy more now looking for things where it's just obvious and where you can experience it for yourself, you know? So I would say like, if you have runner's knee and you don't want to do my program, well, see what happens for a few weeks if you start running backwards instead of forwards and see what happens for your, your runner's knee. You know, if you get some results with that, then that would be an indicator that my program would honestly be life changing, you know? So those are the kind of things I look for. And, and those are the concepts I'm at right now is, is we want to get strong in the muscles that make us go backwards. And we want to get strong from the ground up. That's just if you fell off a building, you know, the first thing that's going to hit is your toes. And now that force goes into the ankle and then the knee. So like, theoretically, if your toes were strong enough, you'd land and your knee wouldn't even be hurt, you know? So like, there's just an obvious advantage, whether you believe in knees over toes or not, is to be stronger from the ground up. So those are, those are the things I work on. It's my responsibility to make knees over toes a subject that anybody could understand, that you don't have to go to school for four years to understand. Yeah, I'd like to see uh, like on your Garmin watch when you select like run, cycle or walk, you like click run and then it's like you're running forwards or you're running backwards. <laughs> um, I had a question, Ben, about um, you mentioned a little bit. Um, this is just going to be audio for the podcast. So even though I'd love to I, see uh, you do your yeah, front yeah. split cold like it is, but I'll still, the, I'll still do the it con- just like, for fun. Uh, just so you guys <laughs> just can, to see. Yeah. But um, for um just around, you know, we've talked about range of motion and, and, and the whole principles of how you're training. And one of the things that a lot of people in a sort of like calisthenics or gymnastics tile training will be some of those mobility or flexibility like yeah. gains. Like, so things like a pancake, things like the splits. And um, my understanding from observing you, yeah, I might be wrong, but you don't necessarily train these certain those exact um, positions, yet you've got like a phenomenal pancake, whereas some people will spend years working on specific drills for that one rigid movement. Whereas am I right in thinking that you're by training those strength in that full range and in all sort of uh, scenarios that you're actually just building the capacity to then, if someone goes, oh, try and do this, then it's like, well, I'll have a go. There you go. There you go. I can do that. Yeah, that's 100% (laughs) right. And for the upper body, it's a lot easier and more obvious how to how to train those kind of things. You know, um, you see someone do like a bridge as a demonstration of like, you know, thoracic mobility or, or whatever, you know, and with the legs, it can get a little more tricky and it can get a little more, uh, you know, perceived as as painful. You know what I mean? So it, it's an area that yeah. there hasn't been enough work into. Now, in my case, remember, I was just trying to figure out how to bulletproof my knees like that's my game. I never, I never was thinking like, let me try to train to get flexible. No, I was like, how do I bulletproof my knee from every angle? So with a pancake that relates because if that, you know, the tighter that inner hamstring is now, when you're actually in sports competitions, your knee is not, your knee and quad aren't going to be able to function correctly there. So is that as important as the tibialis? Maybe not. I don't really calculate the, you know, I don't really calculate or compare what's important or what's not relative to each other. It's just these things are all important. You know, any angle going in towards those knees. And as I started working up the body, it became similar for the lower back where it's like I would just from training so many athletes, I would see, well, this person's tweaking their back and they're very limited in this range of motion, you know. And so I tried different static stretching or this or that. And 
for any area that I was trying to get an athlete to stop being injured, it seemed that if we worked the range of motion as a strength exercise without pain, using how much range you know is is pain free, we would see that the flexibility wouldn't yeah. tighten back up, that it would stay mobile and they would stop having that pain in sport. So like front splits is not something that I was shooting for. Front splits is a direct yeah. product of trying to lengthen those hip flexors. If we think about a normal lunge, right? The back leg is like straight up and down. So maybe there's like some degree. Now, if we think yeah. about an ass to grass lunge to cover the front hamstring over the calf without the back knee touching the floor, we're now in a stretch position. The knee, the back knee doesn't touch the floor. Now, if you load that over time, you could stay body weight whether it's body weight over an extended period of time, that's loading. Like you're loading because you're you're actively not letting the knee touch the floor. You're you're thinking yeah. to stretch as you're loading. Whether you added weight now for less reps, it's it's all going to be the same overall effect over time. So my hip flexors really bulletproofed up that way and got lengthened and stopped tightening up. And then on the other side with the hamstring, similar things where I was just trying to gently work the hamstring through stretch with things like single leg back extensions and Romanian deadlifts, but where it wasn't like the intention was not how much weight can I do? The intention was how deep of a stretch can I get into? And without any loading yeah. for some of these, it works for other areas. Like with the Romanian deadlift, I feel like that's a good one. Start, you know, with dumbbells or whatever for very high repetitions, but keep your back posture, go into as much hamstring stretch as you can without pain now keep doing that over time. So now I'm pretty strong in that movement, but my range has opened up a lot too. So that mobility process occurs mm. one rep at a time with the intention of going to how much range of motion you have. If you don't use any loading whatsoever, you may not get enough pressure on there to stimulate your body that you want more range. If you go too heavy, you'll shorten up and you'll cheat yourself and not, again, you won't signal to your body to get more range. So like I said, with some movements, our own yeah. body weight is enough. So for the ankles and the knees, the hip flexors, our own body weight can be quite phenomenal. As we get into the back and the glutes and the hamstrings, yes, there are definitely some awesome movements. Body weight that still lays the foundation. Yesterday I was doing, I did uh, sets of 25 reps on a single-legged back extension where I'm actually embracing the bottom position and the top position. That's quite a burn. That's going to signal to my body to have a lengthened hamstring. But with something like a Romanian deadlift, you're only moving your upper torso. So there's really not that much load compared to like uh, a single-legged calf raise with your knee over your toe where you're lifting your entire body weight. You know, So there, there definitely are some things. Yeah. I use three programs, and as it goes, we just add little bits more loading really to dig in and try to bulletproof these areas. So the concept is only... How do I bulletproof these tissues and joints? And that usually means that the best weight is the one that gets the most mobility. If we don't load the area at all, if we just do dinky drills and static stretches, we may not actually get enough load into the area. But if we try to go too heavy, we may cause ourselves to shorten up. So whether it's body weight or additional load, the concept remains yeah. the same, that we want to go through our bodies natural ranges and be strong in those ranges. And that tends to allow us to open up, you know, more capacity for flexibility. Yeah. Now I love the simplicity of the of the of the approach and the and the principles. And you can make as you said, like you can make it more complex and we can add more load, but actually one of the big things to help when you when you're talking about helping people that are in pain and really restricted is how well can you regress things exactly. down and but just the the that the what if someone takes away just one thing for, from that part of the conversation, it's like Work through the range. What I'm hearing from you is work through the range that you've got that is pain-free, yep. and you're trying to nudge the the nudge the the the, the range or the distance yep. on that with an um, with an amount of load that it might be just your body weight, but the amount of load that is not too challenging that you're going to then yep. tighten up, but it's enough to let you start to lengthen those tissues and strengthen those tissues whilst lengthening. Exactly. Um, and I think that people can take that. People can take that into any movement. Yep. That's exactly um, right. And, and again, and, and apply it for yep, themselves. And the calisthenic attitude comes in again in the sense that, okay, I described that full stretch Romanian deadlift. That's now a very powerful movement to get the posterior chain stronger, to have incredible hamstrings. If you look at it, you can quite literally, when I do Romanian deadlifts, 
I'm quite literally achieving the exact hamstring angle needed for a front split. Same with when I do my ass to grass split squats. Put those two together, yeah. you quite literally have a front split. And you own that position. It's not a position that feels tweaky. When I used to like try to attempt a front split in the past, it would then be like, you know, tweaky and sore for days after or something like that. So I I own those ranges by the physics of those two exercises. However, the ATG the astrograss split squat really should be started with your own body weight and dominating it that way. And while the Romanian deadlift I only do in my third program where we get into the most loading, hold on a second. We know from track and field that if you've had an ankle injury or foot injury, you're now that much more likely to tear your hamstring. Think about this for a second. For elite sprinters, huge correlation has been found between first having an ankle or foot injury, then having a major hamstring injury. Then your career, no offense, your career's done. Like you can keep trying to peter out your career, but so this is what's cool about that is it's not a study. It's an observation of statistics. You see the difference there? It's not like testing some theory. It's quite literally looking at who are the people having hamstring yeah, injuries. Happened? Five times more mm. likely for an elite sprinter having a hamstring injury that they prior had a foot or an ankle injury. So even if you want to get to that heavier loading Romanian deadlift for sprinting or rugby or something like that, it's still built on the same principle that it's going to go better if it's built on phenomenal ankles and feet. So, you know, as your strides coming around, just having a powerful hamstring doesn't protect the hamstring. You would think that would protect the hamstring. That's part of it. But if your foot can't handle its job, now too much force goes into the hamstring. So just because an area of the body is strong doesn't mean that it's that it's bulletproof. You're kind of only as bulletproof as as each, you know, as each relative area. That's what creates, you know, more bulletproofing is having no weak links from the ground up. So I, I love stuff like that where it's like, you know, statistic based of observing actual injuries in sports and stuff like that. That's a pretty big that's a pretty big red flag. You know, it's not like 50% more. It's like five times more ha major hamstring injuries in elite. Again, elite sprinters is going to tell me a lot more about hamstrings than testing 10 untrained males on leg curls and having them run 40 yard dashes, which they probably would improve just from learning how to do the test, to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, my last question for you, Ben, is just if someone goes onto your Instagram, um, one thing I always wanted to, to, to talk about was the use of a heel raise. So it's something which has been done um, a lot in strength and conditioning circles over the years to help athletes who are lacking dorsiflexion. Where we, we The problem we have in, in a lot of strength and conditioning um, situations is athletes have made it through to a performance level. They have a job to do, which is to compete, but we need to get strong, but we need to fix mobility problems. And it's difficult to sometimes combine those two things together. So we might use a heel raise to effectively buy a little bit more dorsiflexion for the athlete and, and my approach that has always been it's acceptable whilst we are then putting in a more corrective style approach Boom. to try and improve that range of motion elsewhere talk to people because you use some pretty aggressive heel raises what, what is the theory behind that when should people use it and, and what's the purpose yeah so someone with fragile knees probably hasn't gone into strengthening the full bend of their knees for me i probably went 10 years without ever trying to like do a full squat you know so having someone like that trying to get into full squats, if you add a slant board, and I'm a huge fan of like PVC pipes to assist yourself, honestly, like if all I, you know, if all you did was get all these fragile people standing on slant boards and holding PVC pipes to get down until eventually they could lift the PVC pipes and do their own body weight. And then when it comes time to load, not jumping to a bar, but jumping to a dumbbell or a kettlebell with the elbows down. So if your elbow hits the thigh, that means your leg actually wasn't handling your load. So most people miss this whole underlying process of your legs actually being able to handle through full range of motion with the knees, your own body weight. So squats can turn into something much more on the hips. But like you said, that's only one tool. So like if you did a regular squat, no matter who you are in the world, the best squatter in the world, if you now stood on a slant board, it becomes a more knee and patellar tendon dominant exercise. So that's just one tool while simultaneously working the ankle. And I use that ass to grass split squat that if we're going to load squats on the slant board, 
at that time in my second program for the person who wants to be adding loads, if you're, we use the slant board for our double leg squats, which are straight up and straight down. I'm trying to get my ass to literally touch the heels of my sneakers at the bottom. Separately from that, mm. I'm working on that ass to grass split squat, which has a diagonal nature, which allows us to put more load into the ankle range of motion. I'm using that as my full squat, working the heel towards the floor. So it doesn't mean the heel has to be on the floor, but we're working the heel towards the floor. So that's, that's my choice is ass to grass split squat as we load allows us to better work on the ankle mobility slant board as we load allows us to better work the knee mobility essentially. So it's two different tools that combined equal phenomenal squat mobility. So what's cool is for an Olympic weightlifter, I'm not advising them to alter their Olympic weightlifting training, someone trying to improve a back squat. I'm not telling them not to back squat, but if their accessory work now became an ass to grass split squat, working heel towards floor and a slant board squat, really working on strictness, they're going to get more development of that vastus medialis, more ankle mobility um, than, you know, if they tried to uh, get everything out of one movement, you know, so their, their accessory, my entire system is accessory movements. Now for me, I can, I have plenty of videos. I can go into a deep squat and jump up and dunk a basketball. And I'm someone who reached my twenties having never once grabbed the rim. So that ass to grass split squat and that slant board squat still create incredible vertical power. Now my sport is, is basketball. So I use those two exercises to enhance basketball, but Olympic weightlifter would use them and then be practicing the skills of his sport. He'd be able to get into better positioning. He'd have stronger knees, more mobile ankles to catch the bar. And then you would see the form of the Olympic lift becomes, you know, smoother. The form of a back squat. So many people tell me how much their back squats improve, you know, from using this as the accessory. So the idea is not to, the idea is not to shy away from ankle mobility. The idea is that the slant board is going to maximally address knee ability and mobility. And then the ATG split squat is a, is phys, you know, physically based on the physics of it is a better choice for the ankle mobility. Now, that being said, if you could do it with no slant board, that's even better. Meaning here's a test for like advanced calisthenic guys, right? And gals. And they, them, whatever we have to say for anybody who's <laughs> into advanced calisthenics, hold a bar behind your back, put your hands close together. So that the bar is behind the glutes, not under the glutes, because as soon as it goes under, that changes the leverages, not above the glutes, behind the glutes, just an empty barbell. Now your challenge is to get your hamstrings to cover your calves. To do that in that position, your heels will have to lift up considerably. Now I'm saying to do this without a slant board. That is actually the goal of my squatting system is to hold a barbell behind your glutes and get your hamstrings to cover your calves. That's it. That's the rules of the lift. When you do those two things, barbell behind your glutes, close hand positioning on the bar makes this really simple. So like one fist is behind each butt cheek, not under behind, and you get your hamstring to completely cover your calf. You're now doing the true George Hackenschmidt squat that he used nearly a hundred years ago. And he went on to have the greatest knees in history, meaning he was still jumping till his death at 87. There's pictures of him jumping over hurdles at respectable athletic height at 75 years old. And he still holds the world records in that lift. No one has been able to match his knee strength. Now, if you take someone who's been through multiple knee surgeries and has daily, you know, chronic knee pain and has had to quit their sport, they can't jump into what I just described. So this is why I have three programs to yeah. gradually get there. And the second program really uses that slant board to get those legs and knees able to handle your load without having to balance on your feet and all this stuff. But really, we're just, the whole system is really just regressing what the greatest knees in the world can do the greatest knee longevity cases ever what can they do programs one and two just you know rebuild anyone closer to that ability meaning my mom can do it with like a an empty pvc pipe behind her back you know what i mean so it's whoever you yeah, are yeah. it's just going to progress you closer to those abilities that the greatest knee longevity cases have but i think that's a wonderful test for someone to understand why i would lift you know the heels on a double-legged squat is to make it the most maximally 
knee strengthening exercise that that squat could be as an accessory for whatever you're trying, you know, to do in life. It's, it's a heck of a test. Yeah. Um, Ben, I, my final question is, and there may, there may, there may not be an answer to this, but the, because I've heard you've mentioned a few times and I've heard you talking on the YouTube channel as well before about how the mistakes you'd made in the past and like over the last 10 years or so, I think you said around that, that like how things have changed for you and how you are, how you're training, knowing, like looking back and knowing oh, I used to do X and that didn't work. And I used to do this and that didn't work. And like, is there anything that you're, that when you look at your, your training that whether it's your own training and experimenting or your system, but is there anything that you look at it and you go, maybe there may be an area where I'm like, I think I'll, I think I'll find something else that does that better. Or I haven't, I'm not quite happy with how I do, you know, th this thing. And I think I can find a different way rather than, you know, whenever we do, whenever we think something's working, we I mean, never, just this past we week, never think it's ever going to change. Just, and then 10 years ago, <laughs> just this past week, I changed something. So I, what I do oh, cool. is I just keep doing my programs. So by doing, I've been doing this for years and constantly observing and then i have all these people online doing it and observing the feedback and constantly trying to improve every single aspect if there's anything i can improve on it so like an example is we talked about this strength through a stretch position concept right and in the outside of the yeah. hip there's this piriformis muscle and there's definitely some kind of a link between the piriformis being stiff and some tugging on the outside of the kneecap okay, and different IT band issues, that area is a tougher one to load through a stretch. Now, there's different ways of loading it through a stretch. You see it's become very common, um, maybe not very common, but to people like us who are uh, on the, you know, forward thinking with training to do these floor exercises, like in these 90-90 kind of positions for the piriformis and the hips and stuff. And, yeah. and, and there's phenomenal experts on that. However, when you have outer knee pain, some of those positions are just kind of painful to be in and to get through, you know? So I, I, I've yeah. been working and working and working on that one. And I am part of a, my business is called ATG, Athletic Truth Group. And I'm part of an ATG for coaches community. So people around the world who want to know the ins and outs behind my system and, you know, uh, be able to coach other people through it and stuff like that. And so I use that. We have about, we have over 300 people on one chat, not broken up, like one chat. Like you wake up, there's over a hundred messages. And so we're constantly looking at, at, you know, I'm going, how do we get past this? How do we figure this out? How do we figure this out? So with that piriformis muscle, it's not the most convenient thing, but any gym you go to has an adjustable bench. So it can go at an inclined angle. So if you now go to stretch the piriformis by standing on the floor, almost like you're, uh, you know, uh, stretching the back hip flexor. So the, so the front leg, the foot would be pressed against the seat. And now the leg and the knee would be pressed against that inclined bench. And you can lift that angle up to yeah. the tightest and most fragile knee. So it's pressing without something to firmly press that outside of the knee into. And like the floor doesn't yeah. work because there's not actually enough pressure on the knee itself, the pressure's more in the hips. And if you're tight, the knee is like kind of lifting up off. And for some people with this, I mentioned earlier in a podcast, this tibiofibular dislocation thing. So a lot of people, it's too sensitive. The knee can kind of pop out and it's just painful on the outside of the knee. Again, we're talking about very fragile people, not for everyone, you know? So for yeah. very fragile yeah. people, I'm now succeeding getting even the most fragile into loaded piriformis stretching by holding this position, using the incline bench to go to whatever position feels great. And that bench is now firmly pressed against the knee, but the glute, the glutes open, the glute is in open air. So your piriformis is actually loaded and it's strengthening. And then if you, if it got to the point where you no longer felt the stretch, it was too easy. Click. You just put the incline bench down an angle. So someone yeah. could probably with, um, maybe if they took like, um, like a couch ottoman, like something kind of low about the height of a bench and then stacked up a bunch of pillows. Like, like you could kind of makeshift this, but the incline bench is yeah, so yeah. conducive because your foot presses against the seat. 
and then your knee presses it and you have a measurable angle. So it's like very sturdy. Yeah. So you don't get that dislocation thing. But like, that's just an example. It doesn't mean that the previous piriformis system wasn't working for many people, but wherever, you know, something's not perfect, I'm, I'm constantly pushing because I just have a fundamental belief there, there is a solution for everything. You know, that's just like my, my fundamental yeah. belief, whatever someone's struggling with, there is like some kind of solution there. So that's, that's the one that was on top of my mind because we just kind of figured that out in the last week that we can now hold our body weight in a loaded position on that piriformis with it measurably scalable and locked in and, and pain-free. It's so much easier to make a gain when you're able to get into one of these loaded stretch positions totally pain-free. Perfect. Nice. Ben, thanks for coming on and, and sharing your perspective and your experiences and everything that you've learned and, the, and what the, this, the information that you're now sharing with people. It's been a really insightful conversation that I'm sure a lot of people are going to be interested about. Just tell people if they want to find out a little bit more and see some more about your, your methods and get some visual representation of some of the things you've been talking about, where can they go and find you? I would Google knees over toes guy because I put stuff on Instagram, YouTube. I have a blog that I write on. My site is there. So I think if you just Google knees over toes guy, that's best because then whatever, however you like to learn, you know, you can learn more. And if anyone's still listening this far, I apologize for any profanity that I said. I get very passionate about it. Uh, also, that one little line of he, she, they, I, I never know what to say because if I say like he or something, then, you know, maybe it's just when you get a thousand comments, someone is going to be negative. But I, I love, I love, you know, literally every human that's just like part of who i am i love every human <laughs> yeah. right it's all it's all it's all love here don't right worry, don't i just worry. need to be we, up uh, to date on and, you know, how do i that always i know i know how what do you're i saying. say it you know i know what you're saying um yeah yeah and there's always someone that will be upset there's probably someone now will be upset by me saying someone will be upset, probably but um you know you are you are you are true to 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 what you're about and you are passionate about what you're doing and you, you're doing some amazing work um out in in the world and making real changes to to real people's lives and their longevity and so um yeah we salute you for that and um you know we're we're also trying to do our own little piece uh to help people with enjoying their bodies i mean i think um, by you guys you know, that's learning why... this stuff i mean like my goal is to make coaches even more of beasts of coaches than i am you know what i mean by by me living in in my yeah. by me living in my little zone and not trying to do all these other things. I feel like I can serve people really well by, by mastering these things. So I'm anyone who's on your programs, you know, I would say that they're probably just in phenomenal hands. Be, I, I've seen the stuff that, that you guys are doing and it's, and it's amazing. And, and look at, look at your age, you're aging backwards. You know, that's the kind of, <laughs> that's the kind of result that we all want, you know? So my last thing I would say is that's the goal. anything I ever say, I'm just trying to do my job. It doesn't mean I actually have, any disrespect toward anyone else, even if they are saying the opposite of what I'm saying. I'm only passionate about what I went through. Yeah. But uh, even people on social media who have opposing views of me, I I've reached out and said, like, you know, hey, how would you like training the tibialis or something? You know, I just find common ground because at the end of the day, what we're talking about yeah. is still all a, a sub game of just people getting along. That's like the, the ultimate challenge is just yeah. getting along and, and treating other people with respect. So even if I was passionate on there, I don't want anyone to misinterpret it. I never think that any opinion of mine would justify treating someone else, you know, with disrespect. And I would only try to help them and, and be friends and, and let them have their own opinions, see what occurs for them. How good would, would the world be if people got along and moved well at the same time? <laughs> then we'd be winning. If we? everyone understood that concept, <laughs> that no matter what <laughs> games we're playing, it's still a sub game of just fucking treating other people with respect and getting along. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, yeah. I've got an idea. Why don't we create the let's get along group? I like, I like <laughs> it. But that's why I say it on every podcast because I'm one person talking about it. And it, I didn't used to think yeah, that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? I used to think that knees over toes meant that yeah. I could be an asshole to someone. You know what I mean? Like, no, like it's so that's why I try to say it. Every time I get a chance to talk to someone new, I try to just make sure they know because that's the most important thing I've learned along the way is not knees over toes. It's that none of this shit matters compared to, you know, getting along with other people yep. cool. yeah cool ben thanks very much mate uh, look forward to sort of seeing your work progress and um yeah all the best for everything that you're doing thanks guys thank you
There we have it, Timbo. I knew it was going to be a belter. Everyone was excited about the Knees Over Toes guy coming on to the Movement, Strength and Play podcast. And uh, what a treat that was. Uh, add him to the list of like buddies that we now have um, from, uh, from Instagram slash the internet slash uh, coming on the podcast. If you want to go and get a little bit of a visual representation of some of the things Ben talks about, head over to his channels and see. It, is a, it does really sort of help to um, contextualise the conversation when you can see what he's talking about, when he's talking about um, covering the, the calf with the hamstrings and this acid-grass um, lunge. So go and have a little look, enjoy it, go and play around with a few of the ideas and, and see how your knees feel as a result. Yeah, I've even ran backwards up a hill this morning after that. Implementer you are, Jacko. You're an implementer. <laughs> and it did actually feel quite nice. Mm. I like it. So, until next week, you got anything else you need to say? Go and give us a five-star well, review. On yeah, Apple reviews are podcasts. always nice, aren't they? Yeah, we'd enjoy helps that. Us get, helps us get good quality guests on the podcast. And uh, if you enjoyed this podcast or any of the other podcasts, one, let us know, but two, share it with a friend or a loved one or someone that you think would enjoy it as well. It helps spread the message of what we are trying to portray around helping people to move better uh, and explore their physical potential through movement, strength and play. Oh, nicely done, Jacka. That means I can just finish off and say, class dismissed. Class dismissed.